Well, I'm preaching a series on holy habits, all right? These are habits that we need to form and establish in our life so that we can be true followers of Jesus Christ and live the godly life that He's called us to live. 1 Timothy 4, 7 says, Train yourself for godly living. Train yourself for godliness. It's not that you just try harder to be godly. You're training yourself to be a true follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in order to do that, you need to establish some of these holy habits that we've been talking about. Today is sermon number four. It's called Saved to Serve. Now, we ended last week's sermon with these two reminders. First, from Titus 2.14. It says, Christ gave Himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for Himself a people that are His very own, eager to do what is good. Alright? So if you are a follower of Jesus, you are eager to do what is good. You're ready to serve the Lord. And then we ended with Ephesians 2.10, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So, we are saved for a life of service, eager to do what is good, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Our new life in Christ comes with service already installed. So, if you go to a computer store and buy a new computer or tablet or iPad, it has certain programs already installed. You just turn the thing on and those applications or programs immediately goes to work. Well, the same thing is true in the life of a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. When God saves us, He immediately equips us for service. In fact, we believe the Bible teaches that when you got saved, God gave you a specific spiritual gift. You're given that at conversion. And God wants you to use that gift or those gifts in a life of service for Him. So this morning we're going to read about that in John's Gospel, chapter 12. I'm in John chapter 12, verses 23 through 26. Verse 23 of John 12, Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. And may the Lord add His blessings to the reading and now the preaching of His Word. Now, before I I move on, I want to point something out to you in verse 26. That's the last verse that I read. Three times in this verse, Jesus uses the word serve or the word servant. The word literally means one who kicks up dirt in the activity of serving his master. This is typically typically describing the, the servant who will do the job that nobody else wants to do. 
but they do it because they love their master, they see that there is a need, and they are eager to do what is good. All right? They're eager to kick up dirt in serving their master. Now, I've got a photo that I want you to look at. Uh, in many third world countries, they produce their power through collecting cow manure and turning it into energy. They can do that in several ways. They can collect it, form patties like this particular man is doing, and then burn it, or they also mix it with water and create energy that way. And that's all the detail I want to go into about there, all right? Here's a photo of a guy who's probably got the worst job in the village. He's hand-forming cow manure into these patties so that they can be burned for energy. And you think your job stinks. Huh? Really, man? This is the kind of servant, however, that Jesus has in mind when He uses the word three times in verse 26. It is a servant who is willing to do whatever is necessary because the Master has asked him to do that. Now with that in mind, all right, the cow manure in mind, let's go back up to verse 23. All of this starts, this conversation starts when some people approach the disciples of Jesus with a request. We read about that in verse 21. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. So Philip went to tell Andrew, and Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. So what we have here is a large group of people who were very curious about Jesus Christ. They were part of the fickle crowd at this point in Jesus' ministry who were in the stands cheering for Jesus. They weren't out on the field serving or playing. They were just in the stands cheering. Jesus knew there were many who were curious about Him, but who were not at all committed to Him. And so Jesus explains what it means. Not just to be a seeker of His, but a servant of His. Someone who is truly committed to following Jesus no matter what it costs. The fact is that the life of following Jesus really is a life of service. You and I are saved to become servants of God. Now let me very quickly say, we are not saved by service. You can't earn your salvation. You can't work your way into heaven. We are saved by grace through faith alone. But we are saved for service. A saved person who isn't serving is a contradiction to the faith. Jesus here in this passage shows us four ways to think about the life of service of a true follower of Jesus Christ. And it's really not the way that we are accustomed to being recruited to do a particular job. When we go about recruiting people for a position or a job, whether it's in life or even in the church, we will start by telling of all the benefits, you know, don't we? You know, if you'll just serve in this capacity or if you'll do this job, here's what's in it for you. Here's what's going to happen to you. We do that in church. If you'll teach this class or you'll work in We Worship, you'll get to see the smiling face of all those beautiful little babies and they're going to bless your heart and be such an encouragement to you. And so what we're, what we're doing is making it sound as good as we can 
right? Because we want to recruit you for service. And, and you feel good about being a part of something that is bigger than you or benevolent. But you know what? Jesus doesn't operate like that. In fact, Jesus does just the exact opposite. This is the way He recruits His followers. He asks questions like this. Hey, are you ready to die? Are you ready to lay it all on the line? Are you ready to serve and have people treat you like a doormat? Are you ready to think of your own needs last? Well, if you are, I've got a job for you. That's the way Jesus goes about recruiting. And let me tell you, Jesus throws no curveballs. If you want to follow Jesus, He says up front, here's what's required of you. You have to abandon all. You have to leave all. You have to completely and totally surrender your heart all the way to Me. Now, that doesn't mean there's no joy in the life of a servant of Jesus. What it means is this. It, it just means the joy of where Jesus is leading us is great enough and big enough to make us accept the hardships and the suffering that go along with it. So here are four ways Jesus wants us to think about the life of service and following Him. And I know I've got your interest. You're st still thinking about making those, those uh, cow patty dungs, aren't you? All right, here we go. A life of service means a life of sacrifice, but that leads to glory, all right? Serving Jesus is a life of sacrifice, but it ultimately leads to glory. Verse 23, Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, Jesus is thinking ahead to when, after the crucifixion, He would be raised with a new body and return to the right hand of the glory of the Father. But the pathway to that glory would take Jesus down the road of a great sacrifice. He was going to have to die on the cross. In fact, Jesus said a few verses later in verse 27, Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. So, what is this hour that troubles the heart of Jesus? Well, it is the hour of His suffering and His sacrificial death. His soul is troubled about the cross. About what He's about to endure on the cross. He will die on the way to the glory the Father has for Him. But He willingly does it. You see, a life of service is a, if it is true service, is a life of sacrifice. Let me put it like this, church. If you're going to serve Jesus, it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you something. For Jesus, it meant sacrificing His life, dying on the cross. But Jesus was able to do this because He saw beyond the sacrifice to the glory that awaited Him in the presence of His own Father. And you need to know, church, that as you follow Jesus into a life of service, you will also follow Him into a life of sacrifice. But on the other side of that sacrifice 
is the joy of the glory of God. And no matter how hard it gets in this life, as we sacrifice and serve the Lord, understand that on the other side, there's something waiting for us. And it's the joy of the glory of God. Hmm. Something else that Jesus teaches us about this life of service, point number two. It is a life of death that leads to fruit. Verse 24, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Unless a kernel of wheat, okay, and so hang on to that, just a little kernel of wheat. Unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. So here's another way of looking at the life of, of service. And really what Jesus is doing in verse 24 is talking about his own death. His death is like this seed that seems to disappear in the ground and just dies there. But it isn't what it seems. That buried seed is actually preparing to bear much fruit. Got another picture for you. In this picture you have this, this stalk of grain with these seeds around it. Now, when the seed goes into the ground, it then can become a stalk of wheat. And the stalk of wheat produces a head of grain that has a whole lot of seeds to it. But if that little seed, that one seed remains in a bag or if it remains in a barn and it's never planted in the ground, there is no potential for any more seeds to be produced. But if you take that one seed, you plant it in the ground and it dies in the ground, it will produce many more seeds. Jesus in verse 24 talks about himself. He says, I am that kernel of wheat. Jesus was on his way to the cross to die, to be buried, and to be resurrected to new life. And if, if he did this, there was going to be a great harvest of souls in the future. But look at it from a different perspective. If Jesus did not do that, if Jesus did not willingly die, He would not have been that seed buried in the ground. He would have just remained a single seed. But yet, He did die. That seed was buried. It fell into the ground. And what has happened? It has produced all kinds of fruit. Many more seeds, like you. And millions of others through the century. Because Jesus died and was buried, we have risen to new life. But, but Jesus is not just talking about His own death in verse 24. I think it's very clear from the context that He is setting a pattern that His followers, that is us, Christians of all generations, must also follow. You see, Christ expects, listen to me, Christ expects fruit from His followers. John 15, 7 and 8. Jesus said, If you remain in Me and My words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. This is to My Father's glory that you, that each one of you, bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be My disciples. So right there He said it. If you want to prove that you are My disciples, you're going to bear fruit, and not just some fruit, you're going to bear much fruit. I don't know about you, but I want to be bearing fruit. 
Because I want to be a, a disciple of Jesus. You got it? For that to happen then, I need to be planted. I've got to be buried. I've got to die to myself so that fruit can be born. Let me just kind of cut to the chase and say it in a different way to you. There, there is a difference between being buried and being planted. And I think really what it, what, what it has to do with is, is how we perceive it and how we look at it. Whether buried or planted, we're put in the ground. We die to self. But sometimes we look at it and we say, well, you know what, I'm just, I'm, I'm buried. And sometimes you look at your life and you look at your circumstances and you think, I'm buried under this load. Have you ever felt that way? I'm just buried under this load. I'm buried in obscurity. I'm buried in this pointless job that is taking me nowhere. I'm not going anywhere with it. I'm, I'm working with people who don't like me and I don't like them, who don't like God and who cuss and chew and spit and go with girls who do and all that kind of stuff. And, and I feel buried here. I'm buried in this marriage with a spouse who doesn't love God or love me. And you go through life feeling like you're buried. I'm not going to ask you how many have felt that way because we all have. Okay? And we get overwhelmed with it. But there's another way to look at it. Instead of saying, I'm buried, try saying, you know what? I'm planted here. I've been planted in this situation. I know it's an obscure place, but God has planted me here so that I can grow and I can produce fruit. Oh, I'm suffering greatly, but you know what? God has planted me in these circumstances where I can grow and bear fruit. I know this is a horrible job. It stinks. This is a bad place to work. I have no Christian friends here, but I also know God has planted me here so that I can personally grow and produce fruit. This is a horrible relationship that I am in. It's a horrible marriage. But God has planted me here so that I can grow and produce fruit. Two totally different ways of looking at it, folks. And your productivity will be inclined to whichever way you look at it. Let me tell you, I have had periods in my life where I, I, I prayed, Lord, it can't get any worse tomorrow than it is today. And then you know what? It was worse the next day. Lord, how can this happen? I'm, I'm, I'm a chosen vessel of yours. I'm a servant of yours. How in the world could you let somebody like me go through something like this? I don't understand, God. I'm buried in this. But then I'm going to tell you, one day with my head, with my head between the cushions of our couch in Pine Bluff, Arkansas, it dawned on me. I'm not buried. God planted me here. And I've been planted here to grow. And I've been planted here to bear fruit. You may not like the place you're working, but you need to pray, Lord, is this really where you want me? And if it is, understand why God planted you there. You may be the only Christian those other co-workers ever come in contact with. And if they're ever going to have a chance to see the light and meet Jesus, it's because of you, friend. You've been planted there. So a good question for us today is, you know, where's God planted you? 
Where has God planted you right now? Are you growing? And are you bearing fruit? Because Jesus demands fruit from His disciples. I'm going to go a different path with this, but I feel compelled to say this. Maybe God is calling some in our church here today to be planted in a life of service for Him. Maybe as a pastor. Maybe, maybe God is calling some of our young men to follow Him and be a pastor of a church. Or maybe God is calling some of you to, to start a new church, to, to be a church planter. It could be that God is calling some of you, not only young people, but, but young adults or even some of you prime timers who have retired. And can I say, can I say, I said this to the first service at the beginning. I'm going to say it to you guys now. Some of you have lived your whole life just to retire, haven't you? I mean, you've worked hard to retire, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. If you have reached retirement age and you can retire, I applaud you. Good for you. That's great. But you know what? You never retire from serving Jesus. You never can retire from serving Him. And for those of you who have retired, let me say this. Right now you have more time and more money and more assets than you've ever had before. So if, instead of sitting back and saying, well, I'll let somebody else do it. I've, I've, I've worked long. No, you haven't. You've just started, man. You've just started. And so if God is calling some of us to do something specific for Him in a field of ministry, maybe it's to be a Sunday school teacher. Maybe it's to serve in a specific ministry. Will you please consider saying yes to God today? It's a life of death. You've got to say no to yourself so that you can say yes to Him. But it leads to fruit. Number three, being a servant of Jesus is a life of loss that leads to gain. Look at verse 25. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Now notice how Jesus starts this verse. He says, the man who loves his life. This is a person whose life in this world is all that matters to that person. You know people like this, okay? Their goals, their interests, their ambitions, their pleasures, that's all that matters to them. And Jesus says, hey, if that is your attitude about life, you're going to be a loser in the end. You're going to die one day and you're going to see that there is more to life than what you thought. If, if your life is just all about you and you're trying to save yourself, forget it, man. You've already lost. I read somewhere about a tribe of people known as the Inuits. They live in... Canada and Greenland, they are mighty hunters. They hunt polar bear, okay? But they do it in a very unusual way. They, they will take a bone, a piece of bone, maybe from a wolf or some other wild animal, and they will sharpen every edge and the two points of that particular bone, and then they'll roll this bone up into fat or blubber and allow that to freeze, and then they will put it on the path or the trail of a polar bear. The polar bear's hopping along there and he sees this big ball of fat and he smells it. He says, hmm, McDonald's or something close to it. It was supposed to be humorous. I don't guess it was. But he, he, 
He sees the big ball of fat and he smells it and he eats it. And it tastes good to him. And he thinks that he's getting this delicious lunch. But what he doesn't know is that what he's eating isn't going to keep him alive. It's literally going to kill him. The Inuits then trail the bear and watch him as he gets weaker and weaker. With every move that he makes, that bone is ripping away at the lining of his stomach. He begins to bleed internally and he ultimately dies. You see, here's the problem with the bear. He thought he was saving his life by what he was consuming. But it was really killing him. And when we live selfish lives concerned only with our own consumption and our own comfort, we may think we are saving our lives, but ultimately what we're doing is we're losing our lives. When Jesus calls us to follow Him, He calls us to stop trying to save ourselves in selfish living and to start losing ourselves in selfless service. You know what, church, we can do this with confidence that, that we are gaining a life for eternity that is worth every single sacrifice that God calls us to make in this life. It, it's been true down through the ages. The, the people who have been greatly used by God in a tremendous way were people who forgot about their own personal safety. They abandoned their own personal security. They gave up selfish gain and self-advancement. People who just recklessly spent their lives serving God and others. I don't guess that's popular to preach, but I know it's true. A life of loss that leads to ultimate gain. And then finally, number four, Serving Jesus is a life of humility that leads to honor. We close with verse 26. Jesus said, whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. First, I want to talk about that last statement, and then I'll go back to the first of the verse. That last sentence of that verse says, my Father will honor the one who serves me. I don't think it can be any clearer than that. God, God the Father is going to honor the person who truly follows and serves Jesus Christ. Remember what the word serve means? It's talking about someone who kicks up dirt in order to serve their master. The image that we had is this, this guy serving his village, doing the job that stinks that nobody else wants to do. It's the jobs, those jobs that are behind the scenes. Those jobs that nobody else knows that you're doing, but you're doing them because you love Jesus and you want to see His kingdom grow and you're not in it for yourself. You're just doing it because you love God. It needs to be done. Somebody needs to do it and you're a willing worker. Jesus says right there, my Father's going to honor the one who serves me like that. You know, the Bible tells us of a day when we as followers of Jesus will stand before the Father in heaven 
And if we have followed well, He is going to say, Well done! Well done, my good and faithful servant. And we're going to be rewarded for the service that we've rendered for our Lord. That pathway leads us through humble service. Now, now let me go back to the first part of this verse as I close my message. Jesus said, Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant will also be. Now, when, when I first read that passage, that, it made me scratch my head. Because that, that's not the way I would have said that. I, I would have expected Jesus to have said, Whoever follows me will serve me. Right? Whoever follows me, and that's true. That's what I've been saying. But Jesus doesn't say it that way. Jesus actually reverses it. He says, whoever serves me must follow me. Why would Jesus say it that way? Well, as I've thought about it, I, I, I think it's because a lot of times we want to serve Jesus without really following Jesus. Uh-oh. Oh, boy. We do. Really, we want to serve Jesus, but not really follow Jesus. And as I thought about that, there, there are three repercussions that happen that usually happens when people serve Jesus without following Jesus. When they haven't made the commitment to love Jesus with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that's the reason they're serving, because they're following. If they get the service in, in front of the following, here's what problems it creates. Number one, we want to serve Him on our terms. If, if I'm serving Jesus without following Jesus, then I get to pick and choose the places where I want to serve, the positions I want to have, and the jobs I want to do. But you know what? When I'm walking with Jesus, when, when I'm following Jesus, and when I've given Jesus all there is of me, sometimes He is going to lead me into situations where I feel I am in over my head. And I'm not equipped to do this. And I can't do this. You know what? I can't on my own. Huh? But I'm there because I'm following Jesus. Second, if you are serving Christ without following Him, and again, it doesn't matter what you're doing in service. It could be teaching a class, doing we worship, giving food to the poor, singing, helping with kids, visiting in the hospital, even preaching a sermon. If you are serving Christ without following Christ, the people that you are serving will really not encounter Christ through your service. They may be helped but they're not going to see Jesus because you're doing it for the wrong reason. Number three, if you're serving Jesus without following Jesus, eventually you will burn out and quit. Sooner or later, ministry and service is going to become a drag when you're just doing it for Christ and not with Him. When you're doing it in your strength and not by His power. I don't think Jesus could have put it more clearly than what He put it. <laughs> the path to heaven is a path of service. If you're on the path to heaven, it will be a path marked with service to God and service to other people. 
And if you aren't serving God, you need to take a hard look at your life and make sure you're on the right path. Church, can you imagine for a moment what this church would be like and how our city and the River Valley would be transformed if we just humbled ourselves and served God because we love Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That means that you do more than what you're doing right now. You're just sitting right now. And soaking. Bring it on, Pastor. I need to be fed spiritually. You know the problem, if you just sit and soak, sooner or later you're going to sour. That means you're going to stink. We go to a lot of, Keenan, we go to a lot of ball games, uh, whether basketball, track, football. I mean, we're at a lot of games. And it's, it's, it's fun to watch kids or athletes out on the field performing. They're giving it their all. I, I love to see young athletes out putting 100% out there on the court and just giving it all they have and doing the best they can. What's even more interesting are the fans in the stands. They can be somewhat aggravating at times, you know. Sometimes, and I know this is a bad term, understand what I'm, um, I call them fat fans. Fat fans. Because they're really the ones who, you know, <laughs> they need to be down there. But here's what they do. They sit up in the stands and they, they, they gripe at the refs. They yell at the, if it's kids playing, they yell at the kids. You're not doing it right. You need to do, you need to, you need to power. You need to. You know, I'm thinking, dude, give them a break. They're doing the best they can. Or Angie says that to me when she pokes me in the ribs, you know. Reminds me of us as church people. Because when all we do is sit and so we will sour and we start to stink and we start griping and complaining and bellyaching about everything that's wrong. But we're not doing anything to make it any better. Can I, this is from a pastor's heart that is filled with love and I know business meeting is coming up in the middle of this month and I'll not be talking like this, but you know what? It's the truth. And if the truth hurts, then you know what? It's the truth. If you don't serve and if you don't minister and if you don't give and if you don't go and if you don't do your part, you don't have any right to complain, bicker, or gripe about anything. And the funny thing about it, if you are really serving and ministering because you love Jesus and you're giving and you're doing, then chances are you're not going to gripe at all because your heart is right with Jesus. So church, here's what I'm calling us to do today is to say yes. Just say yes. The Bible talks about this. It tells us to bring our bodies, our life, our vessel, and lay it on the altar of sacrifice. Give everything to God. Say, Lord, take me and use me. I'm asking you to do that today in service to your Lord and your Master. To say yes to God. God, whatever, whatever you want me to do, I'm ready, willing, and able to do it. With your grace and your help and your power, Lord, let's do it together. God's given you a gift. You need to be using it. Serving Him by serving others.
So will you come today and say yes to God? There may be someone here that's never given their heart to Jesus. I, I challenge you to come and do that today. Your life will be transformed and changed. Jesus doesn't throw curveballs. He tells you He tells you what's up at the beginning. It's going to cost you everything. But folks, what you gain is everything. If you're away from God, would you come home today? And if there's a burden on your heart that you need to pray about, I, I don't know of a better place or time to come pray about it than right here with family that loves you. Heavenly Father, would you please bless as we have this time of prayer. Lord, for those who need to be saved, may they come and receive the gift of salvation.